Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, the government considers restricting travel from India. Country-specific targeted measures can only go so far. It's actually the broader uh, application of measures to all countries that Canada has been focused on. India, we will be doing further analysis because it's not, uh, it's an emerging situation. Joe Biden offers Canada more help with vaccines. Talk to our neighbors. Matter of fact, uh, a fellow who's working really hard to take care of his country and deal with this, I was on the phone with for about half an hour today, and uh, the Prime Minister of Canada, we helped a little bit there. We're going to try to help some more. And the Liberal government plans to announce more ambitious climate change targets. Today we'll find out that Justin Trudeau has now announced that we're going to go to 45%, between 40 and 45%, below 2005 levels by 2030, which which is pretty ambitious. It's Thursday, April 22nd. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by National Post columnist John Iveson. John, thank you for being with us today. Good morning, Mark. There are uh, many different angles to where we stand with the coronavirus pandemic uh, that we're going to cover today, but let's start with vaccines. There's been an increase in many parts of the country, including Ontario, in the number of people being vaccinated. And there's been another offer of help from Joe Biden, the U.S. president. Um, what kind of help might be on the on the way from America? How how soon might it come and, and how meaningful might it be? None of that is clear. The, the, the president mentioned Canada as a country that uh, the U.S. might like to help, but not now. So we don't know when and we don't know how much. And looking at the vaccine delivery schedule, I'm not sure we're going to need it. I mean, we have had 13 million doses supplied to Canada, supplied to the provinces so far. And by my count, we're likely to get another 26 million by the end of June. And and the big difference, if it comes as planned, is the Pfizer vaccine, which is going to go from 1 million doses a week to 2 million doses a week at the start of May. Now, when you start getting 2 million doses coming in a week, you know, and you're getting supplemented by Moderna and by AstraZeneca and at some point by Johnson & Johnson. But 2 million doses a week is really going to start biting into the population. And I think by the time the U.S. is ready to release some of its stockpile, Canada will be well on the way to, to vaccinating most adults. I, I think, uh, you know, you add 26 to, to 13 and you're, you, you're at the Canadian population. Yeah. Now, obviously, that's not everybody vaccinated twice, but that's by the end of June. I mean, I've been vaccinated last week, and my scheduled second dose is not until till August. So, so I do think that uh, we're in reasonable shape as long as those vaccines keep coming in. And the one thing about Pfizer is that after we had the blip when they were uh, re-engineering the factory in January, they have been coming like clockwork. That's been the most reliable vaccine. Uh, which is lucky for us, I guess. All right, let's talk about the efforts to control the spread of uh, the coronavirus. And the government is apparently considering restricting travel from India because that's where one of the variants has uh, has flourished. Um, where do you think they? Uh, what do you think is going into the thinking here? There are some people saying this should be a pretty easy decision under the circumstances. Is it more complicated than that? You would think it would be an easy decision. I mean, India 
today have recorded 315,000 new cases, which is a record for anywhere. It's this new variant, which is more aggressive, which you know you would think would would make uh, it even more of an imperative for the government. And yet, on Global News last night in, in BC, uh, Justin Trudeau said, we will not be imposing a ban on flights from India the way that Britain and, and Hong Kong have done. Uh, that seems inexplicable unless you look back to the politics of it when, um, if you remember, Narendra Modi sent Canada a couple of million doses of the AstraZeneca vaccine. So this may be a quid pro quo that we don't ban those flights, as they, I think the Indians have asked us not to. Uh, that seems incomprehensible to me, to be honest, that we're not banning flights from India or or also from Brazil, where, um, you know, as the parent of, a, of an infant, uh, this, this P1 variant is really uh, worrying to me. It does seem to attack children, and um, it has become extremely prevalent in in British Columbia, which is this is the variant that uh, afflicted the Vancouver Canucks hockey team, of the 2,200 cases of, of P1 variant we've seen in Canada, 1,800 are in British Columbia. So it would seem to me to be a very good idea to try and keep it in British Columbia and limit contact with the rest of the country. And I think a suspension, even just a temporary suspension for a couple of weeks of flights coming from British Columbia into the rest of Canada would seem to me to be a good idea. And yet... While we do have restrictions on when international flights come in, you have to have your COVID test and then you have to quarantine. Um, I think that the quarantine system is not as foolproof as it should be and plenty of people are just walking out of the airport. But on domestic flights, you don't even need to get a COVID test. And you can get on a flight from Vancouver to Toronto and there are six of those a day and then just walk straight out of the airport. So I think that these variants are extremely scary and we're not doing all we can to stop them. The government says it's community transmission. It's not uh, the importation rate is, is low, but you know clearly all these variants got into the country somehow, and I think that the government will have a case to answer on its border policy post pandemic. All right, let's turn to the government's climate plan. Uh, there's a lot of talk about new uh, emissions targets. Uh, what are you hearing? Where where do you think the government's going to go on this? Well, the government's been pretty clear that it was going to have a more aggressive target than the 30% below 2005 by 2030. The budget even had a a 35% number written into it. But I think that that today we'll find out that Justin Trudeau is going to announce that we're going to go to 45% below, between 40 and 45% below 2005 levels by 2030, which which is pretty ambitious. Joe Biden has just announced that the U.S. is going to go 50% below uh, but I think the U.S. Is, is starting from behind us, so it might be easier to make cuts. Uh, they've got massive amounts of emissions coming from their electricity transmission system. So therefore, if you start replacing coal-fired power stations under his infrastructure plan, then you get cuts pretty quickly. Whereas in Canada, we are only only 8% of our emissions come from the electricity transmission system. So we're going to cuts come more slowly. And crucially, the Environment Department released a stat last week that said we're only 1% below 2005 at the moment. So we've got a lot of ground to catch up if we're going to get to 45%. It also leaves a a problem for the Conservative Party, which came out just last week and said it was going to match the government's ambition at 30% below 2005 levels. So whether they require a rethink or whether they think that 
these numbers are fairly meaningless to the public as long as you're making an effort to, to make cuts remains to be seen. All right, let's talk about health care, because there was an interesting sequence of events this week. The budget, of course, on Monday that introduced new health care spending. And then after that, the prime minister started talking about even more transfers to the provinces. So what's going on there? Well, it's, again, it seems I'm amused by this, but the day after the federal government came out with a plan that spends $142 billion more billion over the next five years, that takes us to a, a record debt of $1.5 trillion. And, uh, you know, we're going to have another record deficit next year of $150 billion. The day after all of that, Justin Trudeau came out and said, we're looking forward to negotiations and we have already pre-agreed that we will increase health transfers to the provinces. Almost exploding all of the assumptions that are in the budget. You might as well look at the budget and go, well, we we need to put a, a giant asterisk next to all of these numbers because clearly there is going to be in, in the short order, uh, another massive amount of money being shoveled out the door. Now, the provinces have asked for $28 billion more every year uh, with an extra $4 billion additionally on top of that every year to, to uh, cover health price inflation. Uh, so you're not going to get out of those negotiations without spending an awful lot of money. Um, I, I think it's arguable whether whether uh, the provinces need that money for health care. There's been some work done on this, and, and the, the estimate is that the ageing population costs about an extra $2 billion a year. So it's not quite the, the massive amounts of money you might imagine that, that an ageing population might, might cost the provinces an additional health care. I think partly because 60 to, uh, 65 to 70-year-olds don't cost any more than the rest of the population. People are, people are much healthier in their in their early retirement, it's kind of bamboozling to me. The why none of this was was included in the budget. Why there was not a, a, a provision made to say yes, we're going to uh, we're, we know we're going to have to spend more money. So why not cut back elsewhere? I mean, this was such a giveaway budget. Everybody there was a pot in every home and a new deck in every home and a pony in every driveway. I mean, it's, there was just <laughs> yeah. no a, attempt to rein in spending because clearly it's a pre-election budget. Otherwise, why are you giving seniors $500 in uh, a one-time payment in in August, likely just before an election, as well as increasing their, their annual amount? You know, it, I just wonder what, where it all ends because, you know, while the, while the government keeps saying, we have your back and we have the fiscal room, really what they mean is the next generation has your back. And we're using up their fiscal rooms. All right, John. Great to have your thoughts on all of this today. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Mark. That's John Iveson of the National Post. We have to punch our way out of the COVID recession. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In the Montreal Gazette, André Pratt argues the federal budget is an open bar, but the party can't last. Pratt writes... Long before the pandemic, the Liberals had given up any hope of returning to a balanced budget in the foreseeable future. The pandemic came, the government had to act quickly to protect the country's economy and those most affected by the recession. However, it is questionable whether it was necessary to spend so much that some are now left with more money in their pockets than they had before the pandemic. Monday's budget continues the disturbing slide toward a federal government bloated on steroids. 
at thehub.ca. Robert Asselin argues the federal budget has no answers on the question of growth. Asselin writes, One can try in the 739 pages to find a clear plan to make Canada more productive and competitive. Although some of the objectives and proposed measures, investments in childcare, skills, life biosciences, and clean tech should be applauded, it is hard to find a coherent growth plan. Was there any debate on measures to prioritize, any trade-offs? Governing is about making choices. But if this budget can be defined as anything, it is everything. In the Toronto Star, Bob Hepburn argues Doug Ford won't resign, but he's headed for huge defeat in the next Ontario election. Hepburn writes, It's a stretch to believe Doug Ford can recover from all this criticism and his recent blunders. He seems totally lost, lurching from one plan to the next, not just day to day, but almost hour to hour. At this stage, Ford's strategy for survival appears to be based on the belief that he still has time to right the conservative ship and that a possible cabinet shuffle, more tax breaks, and a faster vaccine ramp-up will fight off any further slide in his popularity. Now, here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. Prime Minister Trudeau will take part in a two-day international summit starting today. And as CPAC's Martin Stringer reports, the summit will refocus and recommit most of the industrialized countries to more ambitious climate change action. Mark, the event is called the Leaders' Summit on Climate, and it's an initiative of the U.S. President, Joe Biden. It's a virtual summit, and it brings together basically everyone you need around the table if you're serious on combating climate change, from China to India, Brazil, Russia, the European Union, and the United States. And under the influence of the new Biden administration, it's expected that will be an almost palpable competition between countries to make new commitments to accelerate action on greenhouse gas emissions. It has been suggested to participants that as the U.S. will be upping its game, well, other countries better be ready to make new commitments. It's being reported that Prime Minister Trudeau will announce during his address to the summit later this morning that Canada will increase its commitments under the Paris Accord. Rather than reducing greenhouse gas emissions by 30% over 2005 levels by 2030, it's expected that Canada will now commit to reductions of more than 40%. Now, the cynics will point out that many studies and our submissions to the United Nations and our progress to date suggest that Canada isn't even on track to meet our previous Paris targets. But the flip side is a newfound hope that with Canada's economy so linked to that of the U.S. and with a new pumped-up American leadership on the environment, the new commitments and the new targets might just be more than empty rhetoric and wishful thinking. Thanks, Martin. Also today, the Deputy Prime Minister, Christia Freeland, will take part in a virtual discussion about the budget with the Fédération des Chambres de Commerce du Québec. She will also take part in a virtual discussion with the Greater Vancouver Board of Trade before virtually attending question period. Conservative leader Aaron O'Toole will hold a news conference in Ottawa. Bloc Québécois leader Yves-François Blanchette will hold a news conference in Ottawa. Environment Minister Jonathan Wilkinson will take part in a leaders' summit on climate. Fisheries Minister Bernadette Jordan will meet with representatives from Efficiency Nova Scotia to highlight investments in the budget that create jobs and promote a green recovery. And Agriculture Minister Marie-Claude Bibeau and Special Representative for the Prairies Jim Carr will host a panel discussion with young farmers in Manitoba and Saskatchewan. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Thursday, April 22nd. Tune into Primetime Politics tonight on CPAC for coverage of all the day's events. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.